the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between. How to make them, how to get them made and how to try to not fuck it up. In a very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and a producer. And I'm delighted to welcome on my co-host today, a director who has made three feature films, film four shorts, and numerous commercials. It is the wonderful Christian James. Hello, buddy. Hi, Giles. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Good. Now, today's episode, boys and girls, ladies and germs, is with the fantastic director, Christopher Smith. Now, if you don't know Christopher Smith then you don't know your horror because he is kind of a legend in the world. Trailblazer. A trailblazer, you might say, in the world of horror. The films he's made that you will know of or heard of, his debut Creep, and then there was Severance starring Danny Dyer, which actually is a brilliant movie. It's top banana. Yeah. Uh, Triangle with Melissa George is a brilliant, creepy horror film. Black Death starring Sean Bean, Eddie Redmayne, and podcast alumni Andy Nyman. Chernobyl Diaries, Get Santa, and Detours films. And on TV, he's done Alex Ryder recently, Curfew, Riviera, Crossing Lines, and the rather brilliant Temple. And his latest movie, The Banishing, starring Jessica Brown Findlay, is out now. Christian James, what a brilliant chat we have with Christopher. Wasn't it a delight? He is a gent, and I've, um, I think what comes across in his films is personality and Christopher has tons and tons of that and I think that's that's what we really dig into I think that's that's what's most interesting about him and what makes him quite a fascinating character to chat to and he is just spewing Mm. info absolutely pouring out of him lots of hints and tips so many but speaking of hints and tips what can people take away what's what can we tease our oh, listeners what can we tease Joel? Well, what does Christopher us? let me unzip my trousers oh gosh what, what, oh um, gosh yeah he's uh, <laughs> a wealth of knowledge talking about what he's learned as a director you know learning to embrace his strengths his weaknesses um, dealing and manoeuvring around agents and managers he hits on that a bit so yeah the agents and managers was really really interesting mm. he also talks about when he was working on set uh, and the vibe you need to have on set working with actors and how yeah. sometimes a director does need to lay down the law eventually he says um, and he also talks about working with writers and reworking the script and he also talks about locations how important they are budgets and casting Ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat. Uh, this is an absolute delight. I've been wanting to get Christopher on this podcast for so long. Honestly, yeah. since I first started, I've got a list of names still on my wall here. And Christopher Charles, Smith what else is on your list? Oh, you were first on the list. <laughs> no, I said, what else was, what else oh, was on oh, your list? Oh, yeah, no, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you what else is on the list. Oh, Most of them are ticked off. Yeah, good. I ticked him off. No, um, but Christopher Smith was one of those I wanted to get. So I'm delighted because The Banishing's just come out. It's the perfect time to talk to him about making that movie. And we do dive deep into how he made that movie. It is a delight. It is out now, uh, released through Vertigo. It's coming on Shudder very soon as well. But it is now available on all platforms. So do go check it out. Sky Movies as well. It's a delight. Uh, And he's just such a great filmmaker. Check it out. No, uh, so that is all coming up for you very soon. But talking about that vibe on set, Christian James. Yes, John. he was talking how important it is, um, you know, to work with actors and to create that kind of atmosphere. Now, I thought let's touch on this at the beginning mm. because it's, it is important for filmmakers to know how important it is to have a good vibe on set. Now, what do you think of that? <laughs> and I, I kind of know the answer, but our audience don't. No, uh, yes, uh, uh, I suppose you've been that. Well, I guess the toughest thing for, I I always think about, and I think I've I've straddled this from two points of view. Mm. I had a a sort of watershed moment where I was actually uh, thrown in front of camera once. I was director on this job and I was, uh, the the on-camera talent didn't turn up. So it was like, well, CJ, just do your thing, but just do it on camera. And I was like, what? (laughs) And, That's my uh, thing. Oh my god! Trousers down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. Oh no, not that thing. Okay, sorry. Oh, yes. sorry. Okay. The smaller um, thing. Call right. the authorities. Um, 
and I uh, was thrown in front of the camera and yeah long story short it was oh it's or as in it was painful awful embarrassing and uh, uncomfortable after that I always remembered what it was like for actors to come in so I always think when dealing with actors just be there because they're complete strangers and they've you know got on the tube or got on the bus or driven there and they don't know anybody and they've turned up and, it, and it's like I think for actors it's always that first day at school feeling um, in front of 30 or 40 people who have been there probably for a few days it's rare as an actor you come in day one mostly you're coming in week two you know uh, week end of week one week two and there's a rhythm that's already been established and I really feel for the for the you know actors coming in and I never accounted for that Mm. No, I, I make a point now of, if, if I can, obviously, if there's stuff going on, it's very difficult. But as soon as, I'll have to tell my first or to tell the second, that as soon as a certain actor has come in, if it's not first day, second, third, fourth, whatever, right on the end, I'll say, let me know when they're here. And as soon as, and if, or if I see them, I'll go straight over and go, hello, welcome to the set. Yeah. Don't worry, today's going to be fun. We're going to get through. It's going to be brilliant. Any questions, just come and ask me. Relax. Take your time now to get ready. And I'll see you soon. Yeah. And, and I'd have loved that as an actor if that, and I think I remember director did it to me once and it made me feel amazing you know like I was special so yeah. why not actors need to relax because there's nothing worse being a day player a couple of lines I always try and break up that the, the I try and break up and sabotage the action and cut moment because I always find when you say action a lot of people think like, everyone's got to almost like all crew freeze you know if, if they're behind the camera they sort of freeze and anyone on camera just thinks, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up. Whereas I think, so if I say something and we throw some stuff back and forth and you can you can break that that sort of moment of tension down on the first few takes. And I always say on the commercials, which I do a lot of, it's always, look, we're going to do a bunch of takes. We're not going to use them. We're going to throw them away. But that's always, it's never true. I always use them. In fact, <laughs> I'm running out of time. Yeah, I'm like, shit, I've got to use this take. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really have to use this take. But I always yeah. say these first few We'll throw them away. It's just practice. Perfect. I love that. Especially on commercials because you have to hit certain beats and timings is so important. You know, the mm. actor has this, you've got to fit in within, you know, a 20 second or 30 second advert yeah. or whatever. It's really important that they hit the beats in the time you need. So they have to be relaxed because they're, like, they're so tense that first take. So that's lovely to hear. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Coming up for you on Friday is a very, very special bonus edition. The making of David Fincher's Mank. Mm. We get to sit down with the production designer, Don Burt, the costume head, Trish Summerfield, the makeup and hair designer, Gigi Williams, and the cinematographer, Eric Messerschmidt. That's a good name. It's a great name, but it's also an absolutely fantastic lineup for you that is for you it's a bonus episode on friday mank is nominated for six baftas and 10 oscars oh my gosh i'm over the moon we've got this so that's for you bonus episode on friday i am editing that all week because it's a marathon so charles are they are they in one is it a round table how does it work it's a lot of people it's one at a time 20 minutes each eric talks about cinematography Gigi talks about hair and makeup etc etc that is for you on Friday. So let's get to our amazing episode with the fantastic, wonderful, delightful director of the Vanishing. I thought you could. Go again, go. The delightful, absolutely fascinating director of the Vanishing who joins us live from the edit suite of Temple Season 2. It is Christopher Smith. Enjoy, everyone. Hello, buddy. How are you? All right. I'm all right, thanks, Chris. How are you, mate? I'm good. I just, uh, I just was looking through your podcast and realised you've been on the phone to, um, to Gerard, uh, who's done muscle and all that. Oh so yeah, Gerard's great. I love Gerard. We've we've sort of found ourselves at film. We had the, the sort of lovely pleasure of finding ourselves at film festivals where we were both together, and we've just got yeah, we've had some uh, horrendous. Horrendous long nights. <laughs> you mean great horrendous long great nights? Great nights, yeah. Yes. Great nights that I, uh, yeah. Anyway, how are you doing? I'm very good. I'm very good. Meets Christian James. He's joining us Hello. as well. 
How you doing, Chris? Nice Hi, to meet you. Hi, Christopher. How you doing? You're right. You're good. How I'm you? very good, thanks. Yeah, I'm just we're just in the edits. We actually doing a Temple season two. We've been doing that all year. So very luckily, had a job to do. Yeah, with Mark. Well, with Mark. Yeah, the new season. We were really pleased with it. It's really uh, it's become really twisty, plotty, really kind of fun. It's taken all the best stuff of one really and really ran with it. Yeah, no, we've got Eliza's coming on the podcast soon. Um, oh, is Eliza she? Great. Yeah, she but she said she'd come. You know, she's one of these who doesn't often do interviews, and she was like, "No, no, I'll I'll come on." I was like, "Fantastic!" Because I, I know amazing. I love she Mark. is. She's great. I, I know Mark really well. Yeah. Mark Strong yeah, from yeah. football. Oh, so, so listen, it's an absolute delight to have you on, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. The, the banishing is amazing. I really enjoyed it. I love the twist, the doubles, all that kind of stuff that you always bring with your films as well. It's kind of this not always but you often play with the doubles in your films and the, the sort of seeing each other you know the the main character might see themselves in your films and you started off with Danny Dyer I think in Severance yes um, true I did yeah that's true and you've continued this trend triangle obviously is one of my favorite films and CJ we, we talk about that a lot as influences for us as filmmakers and CJ's a big horror filmmaker as well and just incredible I just wanted to touch on first is horror obviously because that's kind of the genre obviously you're doing temple now which is not horror um but generally your films tend to be horror is that something that you wanted to go down from the instance and kept going down you know to talk about genre and specifics yeah i think no i think um i was a huge huge fan when i was growing up i was at that very fortunate age of you know having the video nasties and video shops and all of that so suddenly you had access to all of these movies that you could only really see in in the kind of flea pit cinemas in the early 80s suddenly they're all over the over video and i just really got into them then and i had no intention of plan a great plan of making horror movies and it wasn't until i tried to enter into the industry with a thriller and something else that didn't quite get picked up and someone said to me you know neil marshall this new filmmaker has just done a film called dog soldiers why don't you write a horror? And I was like, fuck, I love horror. I've watched every horror movie there is. So I quickly went off and wrote Quick Creep. And, and then pretty soon after, I was off, I was offered the script that James Moran had, had done for Severance. And then I came up with Triangle, and then I was offered Black Death. And so before I knew it, I'd done four. And with no plan whatsoever, I just and it had happened. And so, and then I was like, okay, well, now I want to go and do the other things I want to do. And I started trying other stuff. And bizarrely, I find myself coming kind of full circle in a way to really wanting to get back in and uh, into doing horror more because I find that not just horror, but the whole genre, not only is genre become so, you know, accessible and, and, and no longer niche, it's very mainstream now. Yeah, I've just found myself kind of going full circle, a bit like uh, in trying, coming yes. back and seeing myself and going, I think you should have stayed doing that. <laughs> so I'm coming back. And I've actually got a few more projects coming now that are, are one in particular that's very much in line with uh, the ideas of Triangle. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, well, it's great because you did get that initial, for me as a filmmaker growing up, and CJ, I'm sure you're exactly the same, having that someone like you blowing up into the scene, you know, was like you were you were someone up there. You were someone who was making these fantastic horror movies and just keeping going with them as well. It wasn't like the, you'd put out a, a NAF one or one. In, but they were all just absolutely fantastic movies. And it was really wonderful for us to sort of look up to and inspire us to sort of go, look, that's the level and we can do that. Uh, well, we can hope to do that. We can attempt to do that in some way. And I don't know, how did it feel at the time? Because this was when DVDs were a huge boom as well. You know, and the market was slightly different. It was different. Funny enough, my editors, you know, had made some films, and I was saying that is it is it harder to was it harder is it harder now than it was then? And only it felt very hard then, but <laughs> it's harder now. I think in the sense that there was there was a DVD market that we didn't really take for granted. In fact, DVD was a dirty word. You didn't want to make a film that went straight on DVD. Indeed. Whereas yeah. now you go, hey, VOD has taken all the pressure off me. I can just make a film. And in some ways, it, you know, you still have to have a commercial element to it. But it, knowing you've, I haven't made anything for directly for Netflix, but you feel as though actually you've got the ability to try things that aren't so kind of driven. Um, but but what, what it was good for the investor back then was, of course, they could sell them on DVD. So if you're making a horror movie, they know that there's a lot of places they can get their money back. And funny enough, when I was flying out to do Severance, you know, HMV, Creep was number one on the, 
And I, that was my, 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 in the airport, I was like, my God, it's number one of the TPD. And it was like, I hadn't even thought of that. And it didn't really hit me at all because you're always thinking about the next one. So you, at the time, I, you know, and I, I say that I've, I've literally probably, I was celebrating for about 15 years having made my first film. I just carried on going to festivals and meeting, you know, and, and celebrating. So it's yeah. not been wasted on me, put it that way. Great. Yeah, it's great. I think Chris, after that, so after your, because Severance has got quite an international feel, and both Creep and Severance have a, and I remember at the time, um, they both had a more, I don't want to say commercial, I've just said it, um, <laughs> but they both had a more, I suppose, uh, just, oh, yeah, you can say that, that's fair enough. Yeah, you know what I mean, like they had a more sort of, they seemed to be, it was, it, there's a new wave of films coming out around the time of Creep, as a bunch, that suddenly all had... It is the first time that I could actively feel the film industry having a more of a commercial sensibility in films that had to make money and sort of crowd-pleasing in a way. And you were at the forefront of that. Did you take that further? Did you at any point early on try and take it to, I suppose, um, Triangle's got a very uh, uh, sort of American feel. Did What was the progression from, you know, did you yeah, stick around Yeah, it's a good question. Or? No, it's a good question. It's like um, every film I've made, I, I, you know, I remember telling people when I was uh, pitching Creep Around, you know, innocent, naive, just got out of film school. I'd be like, this movie's going to make a hundred million quid. It's going to be a smash. And and I think that that, that that whole period, I think, yeah. And, and <laughs> I've always felt that though. I felt that about Triangle and felt like this is fucking great. You know, and then it, it, it was this. It's been seen by like a, a million people on YouTube, but not many people saw it in the cinema. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but so my plan was I was making a smash, and uh, it's weird. I mean, I heard a story in reverse of that, which is the, the, the Ridley Scott story, which is that he made The Duelists, which he thought was going to be a smash and nobody saw. And as a result of that, even though it's a great film, he then made his whole objective to just make smash films. You know, those first two films, you know, are in a way the most commercially viable of the ones I'd done. But I think that was of that time. I don't think that's the case now. I think, I think if, if anything, looking back, I don't mean this in a sort of, you know, I'm not in any bragging sort of way, but if I'd have made Triangle probably now, it would have probably been more relevant now than it was then. In the actual fact, people wanted more straight, direct crowd pleasers then, whereas now you've got films like Hereditary, there's a lot of those films now which are a little bit sort of smarter driven um so probably yeah it's like (laughs) it was uh, yeah so the intention was to make them all hits (laughs) but they but they but there wasn't a pressure to to do that i think there was a lot of stuff being made at the time remember because it was easier to get money because at the time there was a lot of money coming through government funds and stuff so if you remember looking back there was a lot of stuff that you know, the right-wing papers would say, look at this dross, what's been made, you know, movies that were made like the producers, the Mel Brooks, that yes. actually didn't need to make money. You know what no. I mean? They were tax write-offs. And, and so there was a lot of that going on at the time. There was a lot of dross being made as well. And that fades away as well, does it? The dross, the dross kind of vanishes and you only remember, you know, the, the, it does, the, yeah. the, the apex. I think, I think the biggest thing of that is the 70s. We all go, oh, 70s American movies. And then you actually look between the cracks. <laughs> yes. There were some terrible movies. Being they made all just slipped through. Yeah. They just, we just don't remember them. Yeah. 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 So you went to film school and then you, you came out and made a couple of shorts right before you got Creep made. And like you said, you mentioned there about money and money for all our listeners is so important. How did you go from film school, making a couple of shorts to actually going, I've got a budget. I can make a movie. How did it happen for you? And Giles, sorry, just to add, that's, a, that, that's really good, Giles. Just to add to that, because the other thing is, what sets you, because we all leave film school doing that, what set you apart as well from those other filmmakers? That's the, you know. Well, I think what it is, is, and it's, when I look back now, and I think the greatest advice I can ever give is that when I left film school, I wanted to make, I had written a script about, which is more of a sort of, in my head, a sort of David Mamet type thriller. Um, and that was the movie I was pitching around. Um, and, and very quickly, I learned that I wasn't going to be able to get that made. And and I very quickly realized that actually what, you know, follow where the money is was my immediate thing. So the, the way I immediately dropped the script that I'd spent a year writing when someone said, I don't think you're going to get that made, come up with something like this, is to sort of be, and, and unfortunately, because I've been a great lover of horror movies, and it wasn't something that I was 
you know, I was like, I love all movies. I want to make whatever. I just immediately wrote another one. But when I look back now with a bit of perspective, I realized that, that, that you, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the person who works at a film studio or works at the film council, as was then, and go, they, they don't want to lose their job. They might love your script. They will look at that script and then look for reasons to go, well, if this is an utter piece of crap, this thing that you've made, whose fault is it? And is it my fault for financing it? And I go, well, no, it's not my fault because, look, his shorts were good. His, his, he's got Franca Patente in it. She's a big European actress at the time. So you've got to sort of look at it and go, if you're trying to make a horror movie, it's easier to say to a, a, a perspective the financier, look, I, I, I you know, I, I, I've done this short. I, I can do this and this and this. That's an easier sell. That certainly was back then than trying to say that I want to make this great searing drama uh, about uh, what it feels like to be, you know, whatever character, whatever story. Um, and 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 likewise, when they start to watch the movie being made, they can see straight away, oh, that bit looks scary, or oh, that bit's good, or oh, that bit's good. And they also know they can sell the movie very easily. So, you know, if you want to get into commercial stuff, back then it was quite easy because you could just, you know, I say easy, but you know, and 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 but likewise now it's like yes, it's easy to get in to do, it's not easy, it's easier to do genre. But there's so much genre now that you that now actually genre is becoming very highbrow in a sense. That, so it's it's yeah. I mean, there, there's making your first film, and then there's making the right first film as well, isn't there? Though sometimes it's good to just make a movie because uh, oh, what, for sure, what we found a lot of the time now is that people are going, yeah, yeah, you can make a movie, but you've got to make one first. <laughs> and you're kind of like, yeah, that's really hard for a, a lot of people get that all the time, and I certainly did when I started. It was like, well you go make a movie and then we'll let you make one. It's like, that's kind of really crazy. So, but, so did your money come from, like say, putting that out? And I mean, Jason Newmark, who's produced a lot of your movies, um, in fact, was on the first one with you with Creep. Was, was it a team effort? Did you find money from everywhere? Can you even remember? Yeah, no, I can remember what happened was that, that we had been, I mean, there's always obviously a patchwork of where you get money from. Primarily, we were, we went to the um, what was then the British Film Council, and we we had some money from Pathé. Pathé had agreed that they liked the script and were prepared to uh, distribute it if you could get an actor off of this list to play the, the role of Kate. Um, Franca Potente had just done the Bourne, the first Bourne movie, and she'd also done Run Lola Run. So we sent it to her and she was literally the first person that read the script and she said, yes. So that kind of was great. That meant we had Pathé. Then we had to go back to the film council who were putting up the majority of the uh, the uh, equity, if you like. And then I went in to see him, the guy, uh, I think his name was Robert, it was Robert Jones, uh, who is wonderful Robert Jones, because obviously gave me my first chance. So I love Robert, but he went in and, he was doing exactly what I just said. He was looking at it going, okay, they got Pathé, they got Franca. He's a first-time filmmaker. He seems all right, but, you know, ooh, what if it is going to be, you know, if it doesn't work? So he said to me in that meeting, why don't we give you 10 grand? You go off and make a trial version of just one scene and, you know, and, and then we can all, you know, and then we can all look at it and it'll be, it'll be a good exercise for you. And I remember looking at him and I just went and I had, this didn't come out of anywhere. I just went, there's no point doing that. This film's going to be amazing. That's a total waste of time. It will never be as good without Frank in it. This movie's going to make a hundred million quid. Let's not do that. And he just went, all right, let's just do it. And I didn't realize at the time, but Jason and Judy Bain said, you just talked your way into a movie then, you know, cause, cause he was, he was going, Oh, I'm going to hedge my bets and see if this guy really can do it. And then because of the enthusiasm, he just went, Oh, fuck it. Let's just give it a roll. I think I believe you. Do you think your enthusiasm does help as a, you know, when you're pitching, I mean, you seem like you've got lots of enthusiasm myself and CJ the same, but you seem that way. So I imagine when you're pitching, it comes across and how important is it? You know, we imagine, you know, um, Michael Haneke is not going to sit there in a meeting the same way that I sit there in a meeting, you know? So it's kind of like, it's like, I think it depends on the film you're doing. I think if you, if you're making a, a blistering, searing drama and this guy comes, he's, no, we're going to make a war movie and it's going to be really tragic. And I'll be like, oh, fuck, really? Is this guy the right guy for that? So it's a little bit of that. So knowing where you fit in, I suppose, is the key thing. 
yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I do. I think I know that looking back, and again, go back and look at my other self, like in Triangle. But you know, I remember I remember do, having done Black Death. I really Scott loved Black Death, and I went to meet him, and he had all his tea with him, and he fucking loved this film. And hey, what do you want to do next? I said, I want to do a Christmas movie, and they're like, okay. <laughs> but you could see, and then one of the execs from LA said, don't do a Christmas movie, do something like black death again because you're going to confuse the market mm. and i was like no 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 i'm not doing you know so it's like you you've got can only follow you, yeah there's never been a plan you follow your heart and you do make mistakes and you know but ultimately you just got to keep going and show the enthusiasm i think and do you know your now you're sort of you know the journey so far do you are you do you think you can identify your strengths pretty clearly or are you pretty good at identifying what you're good and bad at no, I think, yeah, I think what's happened and what's changed is that in the last three years, especially, I've been doing these big budget TV series and uh, around, you know, in one of the first things they said when I started to do TV, because obviously the world had changed, there's so much TV, was how are you going to do a TV schedule? And I found pretty quickly that TV schedules are longer than the schedules I was used to doing independent cinema. So they were like, I don't know what they were thinking. I was coming at them like Kubrick or something else. Well, I'm going to finish the scene when I finish the scene. It's never been like that. Um, but what it's taught me is actually that the, 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 I've, I've found that the, my, the, the ideas have stayed the same. The, I think I can, I can find a way of being better with the camera now. Um, and I, I think that, yeah, so, you know, uh, you, you, uh, we, we, when it comes to kind of strengths and weaknesses, I think if you sort of, if you look through the, the prism of weaknesses, I've got a friend who's like, I said, mate, you should become a writer. And he's like, well, I'll never be as good as Dostoevsky. I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm never okay. going to be Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> I, I'm still better I'm gonna, than Joe Bloggs. Exactly, I'm not going to give up. Yeah. I'm not going to give yeah. up. So in terms of weaknesses, I think you, you've got to go, yeah, I think I'm better now at realizing where I fit in. So I certainly didn't give any thought when I was starting out. It never entered my mind that I had made those two films. That there was never any moment where I went, "Oh, I should talk to an agent and get a manager because I'm doing okay here." I was just like, "I've got to make it the next one. I've got to write the next one." I was never thinking about it. And now I look back, I think, "Christ, I should have just yeah gone to Hollywood or something." But it's all right. It's all good. Yeah, that's fascinating because for us, it's it, it. We get this question asked to us all the time: When should we get a manager? When should we get an agent? And actually, sometimes finding your work on yourself is good. You know, you can find your own journey and path with it. You don't necessarily need to be guided. No, you don't. And I, and I, I also don't think that they they can. They can. I think people find you. I think as well. I think you, you, you know, you, you, you might. Yeah, I mean, Ridley was obsessed that the village in black death he was you know obviously he's done so many movies of that period and he he'd just come off the back of robin hood and he couldn't believe the village we had in black death and he's like how the hell i mean tell me you found that right you couldn't you couldn't have built that because our village looked better than his village and what it was is and he had built his for five million quid and yeah. what we had done is, is we'd found this this real medieval society in east germany who during the communist days had set up a so-called history club where they would all go along and dress up as medieval characters. But what they're really doing was trying to overthrow the communist dictatorship. And they were like, you know, they were undercover sort of, uh, you know, free free speech kind of guys. Yeah, political so, laughing. I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In costumes. So everyone thought, oh, they're weirdos. Leave them, but no. Did you find the, the going from... I could say creep to severance and then triangle. Was it a case of, okay, we've made that now we'd like a little bit more money and a bigger cast. And it all was that just all happening at the same time? Because the reason I ask is going from second to third film is sometimes difficult for people. Yeah. Well, I, I realized that um, I, I only now in hindsight, do I realize that because those first two films had made some money, that's how I got to do triangle. I, I had actually came up with the idea for triangle in Cannes when we were trying to sell Creep. So if I would have gone and tried to make Triangle as my second film, they would never have let me do it. And I realised that that was quite a nuts film and it didn't seem nuts to me at the time. But my wife's like, I never thought that movie would make money. It's like, didn't you? I, I did. Yeah. Why did you tell me? <laughs> yeah. So, but at least she told you after the fact. Yes. She, oh, you, you know, she told you later. She's very clear. She's like, 
Severance and Get Santa. That's her two films. She likes me when I do my funny ones. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's that mix. So, yeah, so with, with, with Triangle, which is, I, I love Triangle. The making of Triangle, obviously, there's a brilliant making of Severance, but I think the making of Triangle was one of the first I'd ever really seen on a DVD. Like that intense and that brilliant and that well done. I really enjoyed it. And I don't know if you're looking back at those now and going, oh my God, you know, what, what was I? talking about what was i doing do you look yeah good good point Charles. do you look at your old stuff? No, no, no never no i always i said that to mark strong the other day it's like mark you how do you look back and go my god look how young i was yeah look how you know i said yeah. mark looks I, young hair. Hair. I mean yeah. the thing is with mark mark is like looks great anyway he looks <laughs> but, amazing yeah um but yeah you sort of go i think there's a there's a yeah i think i could only make the movies i made then i think triangle and black death are very much uh, my wife would say you should make more movies like the first two and I'm like no those are the two films that I kind of where I started to be able to make the films I thought I would make before I you know Triangle's a film that I would have wanted to make before I made two horror movies I mean so it's kind of that's where I was that's the sort of films that you know like uh, Chris Nolan's um, what's it called um, Following yeah The Following no and then the, what was uh, well, the the uh, Memento, exactly. Memento, yeah. So Memento, Memento yes, you know, it was yes. like that. It was like that was the sort of ambition, really, to try and do something that makes you think about the process of the filmmaking while you're watching a thriller. Mm. So, yeah. Do you think your process has changed then as a director? I know you mentioned earlier about you, you think more about your shots or you, you feel like you've got a clever scope, but how, in terms of, do you see the bigger picture? Do you see how it can cut together? What do you look for now when you're finding things? Even in the first one, I was always able to stop thinking about the boards and let the film make itself and know how how the film was always going to be i was never making it shot by shot and then sticking it all together i always knew what the whole thing how it was shaping as i was doing it i think what i've what i can what i know now is how to balance the rest of the production when you hear about um orson wells doing his first film at 25 it's not wow, he could storyboard them and put the shots together. You've got to be able to play poker with the money men. You've got to be able to think about production design, think about costume, think about... So it's not a case of just your job, their job. It's actually how do you play all of those departments so that you don't think you know everyone's job, but you everyone is encouraged and invigorated by your job. So it all starts to happen as one. And I think that's what's changed in my work in the last three years is that I now know that I can you know that that wasn't there in you know that that was there because each department was operating I wasn't over everything the way I am now I was certainly more you know I was very obsessed with my role in terms of like the shots for triangle the fact I'd written it the way it would all work now if I was doing triangle I would be all over every single other aspect of it a bit more than I was back then because you know you've 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 got only your skill set increases as you as you go on so I'm now able to I actually know what their jobs are I know the role of a line producer now and I know when they are lying to me or or, (laughs) you know where they fuck up yeah and when they you know and I'm aware of of that, 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 that actually, do I really need that crane? You know, and I think a good story for that was when I was doing uh, Black Death, we, he was a great line producer a guy called Udo, and he he came up to me and said, Chris, you can't have, the Knights can't all have a horse. There's no way with this schedule you can have six actors on horses when the, most of them can't really ride a horse mm. and try and make that <laughs> schedule. He said, yeah. well, how many horses should I have? And he said, you should have two and give both of them to Sean. And I went, what a fucking great idea. And they can walk. He said, there you go. Yeah. And that's a good line producer. Sean Bean he gets didn't, two. Yeah. He gets two. It's great. He gets a spare because he's the knight and, and, the, and the rest walk. And, I, and, I, and why I thought that was clever is, um, is that he, yeah, is that he gave me an idea which then gave me ideas rather than just saying, you can't have the horses. You've got a story solution rather than just, exactly uh, right. you know, can't yeah. have it, whatever. You, you solve the, the narrative issue, yeah. We will now have a short intermission. Oh, what I meant to say to all you lovely listeners, and by the way, thank you for listening. We do love you. And we do love your continued support that you continuously listen to our episodes. I know who you are. I check every single one of you every week. 
I don't, that'd be creepy. But I know that a lot of you continuously listen to this and thank you, you're amazing. And for those of you who said hello and I do listen and I love it, I really appreciate that. Um, We have set up the Patreon page properly now. There's a lot of peas in that sentence. That's good. I think you you wear it well, Giles. Thank you. You pee away. (laughs) I've got my proper shield. Um, But yes, we've set the Patreon page up. We had it up ages ago. Uh, Well, maybe about six months ago. But we didn't, you know, I just said, oh, it's here. But now we've set it up properly. Now, this isn't a cap in hand type thing where we're saying, oh, come support us just because you're listening, which is nice in itself. But we thought if we... Yeah. give you stuff we thought if we're going to do the Patreon we're going to give you stuff that's worthwhile doing it for and there's some good cool shit too. as how good shit as CJ says <laughs> so if you just want to put two quid in CJ what can they get this is our supporter level it's called you get 5% discount on, on the Filmmakers Pod merch and our unending gratitude for your lovely support that's what you get for just joining. So just come and say hello. It's less um, than a coffee a month. Just less than a coffee, coffee, of course. Exactly. And it depends if you go for oat or soya or standard milk, small, medium, large. Yeah. Uh, you know, it depends on, or an espresso full cow, short, full cow. Exactly. Or healthy option. I obviously your there's choice. a ca- you know I got to cater this with it depends what type of coffee you get. But I'd say your average coffee, mm, mm, uh, two pound mm. a month is going to be less than that. So I think that's that's pretty clear there. Pretty two pounds a month. You get five percent off our great merch. Uh, links to that will be in the show notes. Uh, but for four pounds a month, this is the insider. Now this is where that's it a coffee and a half. Coffee and a half. Uh, you get ad free Filmix podcast episodes. 24 hours before the rest of the world and you get access to our twice monthly mini-sodes where our hosts sometimes myself and CJ chat about some of the on the ground experiences in filmmaking world but not only that CJ what else do they get and 10% off the filmmakers podcast merch there you go you get 10% off perfect it gets better Uh, so now for £7 a month which is a coffee and probably a cake, I'd say. Yeah, coffee, not... pastry. Yeah, I'd a, nice say a large coffee and a pastry. A nice vegan pastry. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, so for this, you get all the other benefits, but you also get access to our Q and A live streams, where you can ask us anything and everything about the filmmaking world. Oh my gosh! And access to Desert Island DVDs. Which is our segment where we ask some of the biggest names in the world of film the three films they'd take with them if all else was lost. It's basically a rip-off of Desert Island discs, but we did it Desert Island DVDs because we still watch DVDs. And finally, CJ, what do they get? 15% off all Filmmakers Pod merch. That is incredible. Not only that, there is a fourth level, ladies and gentlemen. How much is it in English pounds on yours? Because it's in dollars on mine. Giles, it's £10 a month. Ten freaking pounds. Now, really, that's going to be probably two coffees. So this is probably like a year and a mate, large coffee each, and, and maybe a pastry each. You're probably in for a tenner there. That's all you can is. half that vegan uh, vegan croissant. Yeah. Uh, this is the director level. In addition to all the benefits of the insider and producer tiers, directors receive... The suggestion box. Woohoo! Yes, you get the suggestion box. This is a genuinely great feature, actually. This is this is, this is <laughs> CJ's rough. reading it for the first time. <laughs> what the fuck? Why? Am I, I need to join this. I need to start suggesting things. Giles, Giles, might listen to me. I'm going to join this. Um, yeah. Suggestion box where um, you can suggest future content for the show. Not only that, but you get our personal thanks by name at the end of every episode of the podcast and not only that cj what else do they get 20 percent of all filmmakers podcast merchandise as well as the ad free content the monthly minisodes the early access the design mm-hmm. dvds mm-hmm. the live q a's mm-hmm. the filmmaking mm-hmm. suggestion box we know that the patreon mm-hmm. chat blah, blah, and that mm-hmm. stuff we know about anyways it's <laughs> dynamite it's dynamite so look that's why we're doing this uh, because not only will you support the podcast but also we're giving a lot back to you so Link to that is in the show notes. Dive in, do something cool today, and sign up to our Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash the Filmmakers Podcast. Amazing. You get all that. Come join us, be part of the tribe. And actually, if you're really cool, I might get you on an episode. Oh, 
I didn't say that out loud. That should be like a fifth tier, but I did say it out loud. But anyway, let's get back to the episode. This was a mini advert in there uh, for our patron. Thank you so much. Uh, back to Christopher Smith. So how does that affect your films on set? And looking back on the stuff you've done, uh, you know, has, say, you know, um, Severance been a massively different vibe to, say, Black Death? Um, I know you've, you know, some actors have crossed over, but, you know, you've worked with sort of comedic actors with comedic performances like Rafe Spall. And then, you know, more recently, Sean Harris. So you've sort of worked, you know, how does that affect your your vibe on set? And how do you keep that? How do you cultivate that? Yeah, I think I'm, as you can say, I'm, I'm naturally, I like people. So I'm a naturally very kind of, I like a nice, I think I like a nice vibe. I think, and I, I think I will make mistakes. I will come in with enthusiasm and I'll go, fuck, that was an idiot idea. What an idiot. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> and, and literally hold my hand up and, and say, no, that was the worst director's note ever. Or, uh, you know, I've done things like I've done, a, I've done a take and the actor's done it. And then four takes down the line. I've like, could you play me back the first take, please? Because I think all of my notes have made you worse. And then we watched the first one. But because I say that to the actor, they know, they know you're, they know you're smart. Yes. Because yes. they know if, if I'd lie to them, and you know, and actors are shrewd mm. people who mm. lie for a living. It's their yes. job to pretend yes. to be other people. They, if, they, if you bullshit them, they're, they're going to go, well, my first one's the best one. You know, and, and you learn that off of people like, I mean, I remember on Black Death, I, I got, um, uh, what's his name? God, okay, oh, come on, Chris. He was in The Omen, um, the, the, pl- plays the bishop, David Warner. So David Warner's very first day was the very first day with obviously Eddie Redmayne was in that before mm-hmm. he was Eddie Redmayne. So yeah. it was kind of, <laughs> he was a young actor. So we were just together. And, and David Warner was just doing this, re- what felt in person the most ridiculous performance i've ever seen in my life so i was just trying to bring him down bring him down bring, yep, yep. and make him less and less and less and and it just didn't get any better so we just said oh good that's it cut and then i watched the rushes go oh my fucking god i think well, i can't work with him I, you know and he was really nervous uh, david because of the fact he could tell the director wasn't happy i played it back his first take was fucking brilliant and i had made him steadily worse so the next day I told him, I said, I fucked up your performance yesterday. And he went, oh, darling, no one's ever been honest with me before. It was just like, yeah, so, yeah, That's, just be that, honest, you know. Yeah, just, totally. It doesn't make you an idiot. It makes you the opposite. And so I think I think that carries through into, into how, we, how we create that vibe on set. Sean is looking, you know, Sean Harris. I get on with Sean. I consider Sean a mate. But Sean could be tricky. But he's, he's you know, and certainly – he did my first film and he did my last film. And he's he he is in the in the middle, gone on to work with you know Tom Cruise and done everything. He's worked with the best crews in the world. So if he feels something's not working, just like I was saying, I understand what everyone else's job is. Sean understands what absolutely fucking everybody's job is. And if he thinks you're not putting as much effort in as you, he will tell you. And that applies to me and that applies to himself because he does a lot of work. So you've you've got to kind of get your game up when you're working with people like that. They're not going to like some actors can literally just read the script and go, oh, I'm a doctor. Didn't know that. Okay, I'll, I'll do my doctor face, and it's brilliant. You know, I literally barely read the script. Yeah, it's Oscar-winning performance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If it's a mate as well, I suppose it, it can always sort of be like, "Oh, it's a mate coming to this role," but you've got to be, as you say, if you're not on your A game and you haven't thought through every permutation of their role that they have, you're suddenly caught off guard. I guess totally. Yeah, and Sean will call you on it. You know what I mean? He will call you on it, and. And I work with John, John Hurt, who's, who's read a scene and gone, oh, God, another <laughs> unlikely scene. How are we going to fix this one, Chris? And that's how the day would start. And I was like, yeah, I was a bit worried about why you're doing that, John. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that. So, so, and I think, I think that I've, I've, because I've always approached it and gone, things probably aren't going to go the way you want it to go. And I think the filmmakers that are very locked in to the sort of Hitchcock school of i've storyboarded absolutely every frame and this is what we're going to do you have to stand here you think back to the gene hackman story when he you know he says okay so gene so you pick up this glass and you walk over there and you put it down and he says wait well i'm going to stop you there i don't i don't move props that's not my job 
you know, but you've got your camera plan. You say, I'm not fucking touching that cup. I'm not, I, I don't want to hold a cup, you know, and it's saying some actors are, I like that, you know, and you've got to be a little bit fluid. There was a Sam Raimi story, wasn't there? Sam Raimi on Quick of the Dead uh, had Gene Hackman and he said, uh, uh, one, the first day Gene Hackman saw the storyboards and didn't do anything he asked. He did the opposite, wouldn't do a thing. And he later found out that a, a assistant was taking Hackman the storyboards every day, something like this. And then he quickly said, because uh, Raimi boards everything, you know, within an inch of his life, or within an inch of his life. Uh, and he said to the assistant, don't take Gene any more storyboards ever. And they had to hide them and take them all down. So Gene couldn't see any storyboards. And therefore it was all, how about we, you know, and make it, you know, yeah, like it's we got Gene, you know, so, and then I'll yeah. work my shot around you. And he was happy. But uh, you, yeah, you often hear that some actors are like, yeah, that if you've bothered it, they'll be like, not doing that. It's fascinating, well, if isn't you, it? If, yeah. But if you think about it, if it's like, if you, if the director has come up with an idea, which looks pretty, but which no human being would ever do. Certainly not. You know, it's like his best friend's just died. He's down there, his friend. But you wanted me to stand up on that waterfall? Well, I just you best have a light. fucking yeah, good reason window. for it. Yeah, stand by that window. Yeah, you best have a good reason for it. You do. It do, and I suppose it teaches you as a director, producer, to understand actors. You know, and you've done it because you've you've worked with so many. But when you're first starting out, actors can be really scary. It's like, oh my gosh, these are big actors and stuff. And actually, they still can be. They still you know, can they still, you're right. They still can yeah. be. But it's understanding what they've got to go through. And the more you can understand that, the easier it is to talk to them about it rather than going, just stand there and do this. Why aren't you pouring blood all over your face or jumping out the window? I don't understand. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, 99% of the time, they're, they're playing up because, because they're, they're, they are unhappy or nervous or insecure about the role or there's some real reason for it. And, and there, and, and, and there does come a time sometimes, and I've only learned that recently, where you have the, the whole carrot and the stick thing. And sometimes, actually, you have to say, no, we're doing it this way. I don't, you know, thanks for the thought. but And you have got to lay the, because there's, there's seven actors in front of you. And who's in charge here? And eventually, you lose the other six if you just obsess over the one. So you've got to kind of find that balance. And that's all stuff that comes with experience in a way, you know, and... Um, yeah yeah this is incredible and you know like i said we haven't mentioned detour it's you know really cool action thriller but we want to talk about the banishing uh, as much as possible because it is out on the 26th of march it is super it's going to be on shudder as well which is just great because shudder's huge at the moment with everything that's going on i love on. shudder yeah i was just i just managed to finally watch uh um wolf creek 2 which was which yes. i enjoyed so yes. I enjoyed that. It was funny. It was kind of a weird little, he went off, well, let's get to know the guy more. But I enjoyed it. And that's on Shadow. So there you go. Yeah. And Host has done really well there. And we had Jed Shepard on, who is one of the writers and producers of Host. And Host just, it blew up with Shudder and Shudder is now, you know, the the British, the UK, you know, it's really well known across the world, but it's really blown up in the UK and it is a place if you love your horror, you get on Shudder. So it's great the Banishing got on there. So the Banishing, it's the story of the most haunted house in England in 1930s, uh, about a young reverend, his wife and daughter move into the manor house and it has a horrifying secret. Dear God, thank you for bringing us together as a family. Hope you're both settling in well. Yes, thank you, Father. You make it a home in every room. Amen. Over there is bedroom. That is the living room. And this is the dining room. What's this room? You're not to go there. You're forbidden.
it's written by um, Ray and Dean uh, Bogdanovich and Lyons and uh, David Betton as well, who I know as well, which is really cool that, you know, did this script come to you? How did you seek it out? Yeah, it, it was, I kind of, um, yeah, I was, I'd, I'd already started to write. I mean, I've written two films, horrors that are kind of in the pipeline. That, and so it gone to this stage where I'd got these films, I'd written them and I hadn't quite got them across the line with the scripts. And then this one was floating around. I was literally so dying to get back on set. And, and, and I really liked the, I'd never done a, a haunted house story. And, and, and obviously I got, I don't believe in ghosts. There are no ghosts. There are the ghosts are inside of you. They are your, which is why I'm obsessed with this whole triangle model, which is why you're seeing elements of it there. What scares me is, is where you could end up in depression or in all of these thoughts where you, the, the these wormholes you can go down um, that can make a house feel terrible. I, I think obviously I'm not, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be myself if I said, I, but you know, someone asked me, What's the has anything supernatural ever happened to you? No, of course not. No, <laughs> it was There's my been mate. moments where I've, yeah, yeah, on I the felt wall. uneasy when <laughs> yes. I walked through a forest, but it's probably to do with some instilled fear that was given to me as a child. Indeed. Don't walk on your own in a forest. Yes. I'm a grown man now. You know, my son goes, Daddy, are you ever scared <laughs> when you go downstairs to check on, see if someone, see if sometimes, but not, not really, <laughs> because I don't feel scared because I'm a man now. But my son would be like, Dad, what's that noise? It's a tree tap in the front with it. It's not a <laughs> So, um, but, you know, but you can get very scared. And so I, I, I the, the script the guys had written was was definitely more of a traditional kind of ghost story, ghost story. And I was very much like with, with some, a lot of effects that we knew we couldn't get to. So I just started to develop it and say, look, let's try and do some of the things that I'm interested in. The idea that, that, um, and certainly in this film, there's an idea that the judge being the, the judgment of others, you know, very much the husband judges the wife. You know, he judges her because she's had sex out of marriage. He's, you know, he he judges her for being sexually free. And and he is he is, you know, there is a monster in that house. And it's actually the opinions of the husband. And 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 likewise, in the society she's been brought up in, she judges herself she blames herself she's you know she's got he's walking around going bloody woman bloody mad cow you're joking about on set it's kind of like a, a sort of 1940s version of a marriage but she's as judgmental to herself and it's this idea of there is a haunted house it, 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 you know the house is evil there is this sense of evil within the house i'd like to turn that evil which is real it really is a haunted house in the film into something about their own lives and also one thing that was absent when i first read the script is it was 1938 i was like come on uh, where's the where's where's world war ii so suddenly we started to put the themes of fascism in and the idea that the, the the evil of this house can manipulate good people and make them do bad things uh, like the and, and the idea that fascism is this intoxicating vile thing that can make good men do bad things and so it's all we try to sort of connect all those dots together in the script um, and that was certainly something that I brought to it when I when I got involved amazing and you really have I mean it's it's really I love all the little themes and the little touches and the the, the stuff that goes on in the background of real life and you've sort of woven that in brilliantly and the church involved massively and how that affects people and you know it, being a reverend is is really interesting um and that location is wow that house is it a real house because it's fantastic yeah yeah we again we 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 realized very early on that we we had only you know it was a it was a probably the lowest budget I'd worked with in the sense of that, you know, we had to spend money wisely. We found a house that would allow us to go in there and do the lion's share of uh, the film. Obviously the house you see is fantastic is actually what we're using in the film is a 10th of the size of the house. So even though, so what you're seeing when they arrive at the house is I think the servants' quarters of this massive house because it's cut off so, on the right hand side, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Completely, yeah. It's actually a mansion, you know. And so the the man who owns it needs as much money 
to, to run those big estates. So it's like, film crew, come in, come yeah, in, come in, please. <laughs> please. And we're like, you can use us. anything. I was like, no, 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 we can't use <laughs> So we've used about 10% of the house. Wow. Um, and what was interesting was we chose the rooms that had the best wallpaper. So we managed to use, so we designed it in a way of, here's 10 rooms, let's choose the best, not let's redesign it. So let's use that one for this. And, and so we used lots of nooks and crannies. Um, of the house and that's yeah so we're, I'm pleased with the way that this, the design of it kind of came through and with the budget in mind did you change or alter the film or any, any of your sort of I suppose your spooky set pieces did you model shape them to the house the location yeah so what we, it wasn't with budget in mind so much it was more um the idea of uh the the house has a gateway and it, unra- it lets you look deep with inside yourself as well as the house. And so she starts to look in the mirror and it is her life mirroring the the uh, the girl that was there before that, that you realize, you know, because obviously the, it's a, uh, are the, you know, is she the baddie, the, the woman or is it? No, it's the monks. And and it's just it's, you know, it's trying to use those images that I've dealt with before. So I definitely was in, you know, inspired to revisit some of the themes of of, of triangle but but mostly like the view of of the women all stood up on the, the the multiple versions of jess up on the wall that came from images that i'd seen a long time ago of uh sanatoriums where these women were going through this obsession of you know without their medication they were mimicking each other and all stood on the wall all these different women or you know not obviously le- elevated off the wall but all all you know they were all copying each other and i just thought let's try and use images that haunt you um as much as you know as much as the standard jumps you know try and find spooky images so a lot of the film was built around trying to make you feel uneasy i mean I, because because the alternative James Watkins film with um you know the the woman in black for example I that I I really respect that film because it was like the a Harry Potter horror movie in a way and I think James did a brilliant job of it it didn't scare me but it was brilliant set pieces and it was so it's like if you if you look at that as a sort of quintessential modern version of uh, the haunted house movie I was like well what what can we do to remove it and. I sort of think scrape under the, you know, under the tablecloth, excuse the ridiculous metaphor of, of a marriage <laughs> under the tablecloth. Indeed. How eloquent is that? Of yes. that? And, and see <laughs> what this, <laughs> there's a quote, perfect. Yeah, it's a quote for the poster. Scrape beneath the tablecloth of a marriage. <laughs> it's the scrape under the tablecloth genre. We have all been there. We know that one. You're inventing it, Chris. Under the tablecloth, forget that, cups. But yeah, so, uh, and sort of dig, dig into jealousy and and the other sort of disgusting elements of being judgmental and all those things that make you feel uneasy um you yeah. know and the sleazy john lynch play you know, not oh it's great malachi yeah. played by john lynch yes very sleazy you know and john does that so brilliantly that you just don't know about him yeah how do you get performances then like that because like i said a lot of your films you go into the mind of characters and jessica brown finlay's fantastic it john lynch sean harris you know the amazing cast john hefferman as well um and i think it's really fascinating what's happening with them do you how did you talk to them here to make sure you're getting that level of fear that level of anxiety and repression yeah, you and- push you push you push when you think there's not enough but you again you you understand and i think i one of the things i've learned many things i've learned you know just that and i'm still a film student in the sense that you're still learning on every job is that actors are are where they are because of where they are and they they will often bring something better than you could have imagined so uh jess i worked with before on a tv show called labyrinth is who was great then has just come on in the same way that I may have come on as a filmmaker, as an actor. And she's just was electric in that film. And so much so I, I want to work with her again. And, and so, you know, and even recently when I was, I just, when I was doing this scene with Mark Strong, funny enough on the series Temple, I just said, Mark, this scene, just go for it. Like kind of Harvey Keitel in Bad Lieutenant when he's <laughs> yes. literally spitting and crying in front of Christ, give it a level 10. And you go, okay, great. And you just do it. And I think, so you've got to that sort of space where you you can just talk like that. And if you're working with actors who are brilliant, they will give you more than you could have imagined. Whereas I think a lot of young filmmakers are using their mates 
um, people who are so-called actors. So what you want, the best director in the world ain't going to get because that they you can only do so much with the level of cast you're working with. So in a weird way, your life gets easier <laughs> the better the actors you get to work with because they can just do it. Right. So that comes from experience and longevity of keeping going in the business and therefore you can get the better cast. Was it easier to get this cast? Because it's a great level of cast. But you mentioned budget wasn't necessarily what you're no, used to. No, I think to. Sean, you know, Sean did it because I, I wrote to Sean and he, he did it because he thought, look, you know, like I say, we've stayed in touch since Creep and he really loved the idea of doing Harry Price. He said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do sort of a big, I'm going to do it big. You know, I'm like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Some of my favourite characters like Anthony Hopkins in Dracula and Bram Stoker, I love the way he acts in that. It's fucking ridiculous. I mean, I prefer Anthony Hopkins to the, to the Brian Cox lecture. I don't give a shit. I wish you, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. It's really yeah. flowery and it's amazing. Yeah. And I, I want actors to act and to go for it. And, but big performances that you see in all the Hitch, in, in all the Kubrick films, you've got to be brave to do those because a lot of actors and directors are, they come from a place of let's make it realistic. And actually that's not interesting. As Kubrick said, what's interesting is really fucking big, but you've got to be really good to do it. And, and this is probably the first time I've gone, let's just go for it. You know, let's, 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 you know, I'll tell you if I think it's too big. And I, I did, I pulled, I pulled Sean down. I pulled Sean up. I pushed him up and down. It depends on, and it's, it's just really about gauging it and, and letting the actor trust you and you know if you tell an actor to pull it back they do trust you more you let them go but bring them but also also they say go for it be be brave you're not you can't be bad and 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 you know so on yeah so once you've got that trust it's much easier to have to play in the sandbox basically and have that time to do it so uh obviously banishing is just just absolutely brilliant and everyone should go watch this now but is there any advice you can give people who might be starting out now uh they're thinking about it or they're making their second third film that you're thinking oh i wish i'd had that bit of advice is there anything you can impart any pills of wisdom yeah i mean it's a weird one because when people say how did you get into making films and i said well when i was seven i started collecting film magazines and i watched thousands and thousands and thousands of films that's the first thing it's like i've literally been a film geek my whole life and so it's and that currency of being able to talk about most of cinema with people is is a big plus um if you you know have been very specific in what you've watched that's fine if you've only been into musicals but you know more about musicals than anybody else you went and did dance at college and and you want to make a musical that's also fine so i think the advice is um is to find something that is to find the right sort of first film or the right sort of, if you've made three shorts or three features that were made off your own money and you want to move, you know, is to find, find a script that you think has an idea that you can tell someone in a nutshell and they get it, you know, and they go, certainly that's the easier way. Girl gets locked in the underground and there's a monster down there or something. That's a really sick. It's probably the best pitch I've ever had. So simple. It's like, and, and, and then find it. I would say find a grown up, you know, someone by grown up, I mean someone. So you're, it's not just you, you're the first time filmmaker and your mates a first time producer and you're going to get your first time editor mate on it and your first time cameraman on it. The person who's put the money in is like, Ugh. if it's, if you're the weak link in the team, and everyone else is a grown up around you. That's that's the best way. And then you can get your friends in and, and start to help once you've got a bit more say. So try to sort of box clever, I would say. Brilliant advice. Absolutely amazing. Uh, CJ, have you got one last question? Oh, man. Uh, so many. I know. No, I could, I could talk to Chris for hours and hours. And hours. <laughs> Chris, I always remember for, for many years ago, I think it was Black Death. I was, um, uh, I think I came along to a screening of Black Death. I think you were doing a, some sort of a. Uh, it might have been a premiere, but I always remember then. Ever, ever, ever since I've previewed or premiered anything, ever since I always remembered how excited and nervous you were, and I always remember sort of like, but you were quite, you were holding it in quite well. You seen you were you were doing a good job of like shaking hands and keeping things moving. Yet you obviously you seemed slightly pressured. No, I was the, nervous. I think that was your film. was that the one when Eddie was there, and it was like a smaller screen. It was there was yeah, yeah. It was a really it was actually a really it was a really nice screening when it was all. We were all like, it felt like a real, like we were yeah. in some small. In a really old cinema. cinema. It's been knocked yeah. down now, hasn't it? Where, Where was, was it? That? 
Yeah, I think it was in an old cinema. I think yeah, it was. In it an was. Old... And we were all in a courtyard or something, it felt like. And it's, yeah, it was just, it was great. Yeah. And it was just, it just, listen, you, you, until you watch it with real people, you don't know, you really start to feel when it gets boring. I remember one funny story I was doing. I had this thing where I was making triangle and I was really worried about this one scene. And me and the editor were thinking, is it boring in this scene? And we're like, I, don't, I think we, we just think it is because we're just, we've watched it too many times. And so we, we got a mate of mine in and he, he, he watched it with us. And we got to the boring bit and I just he checks how he responds to this. And as it plays out, he looks to me and goes, Chris, is that 50 quid I owe you? And I realised, no, it was a boring bit because it was the moment he started to drift off and think, oh, yeah, Chris, 50 quid. So it's amazing. It's only, yeah, it's only when you watch it, you realise. And so obviously after you've made it, as you both know, it's like then you really are going to start to feel it because it's too late then. And you know there's going to be a review tomorrow. You're only going to look at the worst one. <laughs> that's, that's, um, reviews don't get started. It's horrible, isn't it? Um, but yes, but the, like I say, so, so happy to have you on this podcast, Chris. Uh, since I first started doing this, your name's been on the list to have you on. So it's been an absolute delight. Where can people find you on the socials? Is there anywhere they can follow you and say they love The Banishing? I don't, I've never really done it. I've always, I, 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 I did it once and then I realised I'm going to, I'm going to be just, I, I just thought it's not safe. I'm it's so safe. easy to tell you what I think. Everything I say comes across better with me saying it than it does in print. So right. off, like the tablecloth. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If I, was to, if I was to be drunk and write, this is, you know, I, yeah, so not really. Um, I, no, not really. I should do. But I, I hope everyone enjoys it. I'm really proud of how it's turned out and uh, proud of, you know, I'm really grateful to West End. They really supported the film. And yeah, and Shudder are going to do a fab job. So, and thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this. It's been great. Chris, you are a star. Thank you so much. And well done on your career. Honestly, I'll go amazing. get my stitches out now. Go get your stitches <laughs> out. I've got to rush off. Sorry, everybody. Get my stitches. I don't... <laughs> we'll be, we'll be nice peeling one. underneath the uh, tablecloth. Tablecloth, uh, exactly. Thanks, Chris. You're a cool. star. Thanks, we'll speak guys. soon. Cheers. Send my best to Mark. Cheers, I will buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 The Banishing is out now. Go support. It's on Shudder. Uh, Vertigo are behind this. And West End Films are behind this. Go support Christopher Smith. And then go watch all his other brilliant movies. Honestly, he's got an amazing back catalogue. So much great TV as well. So, uh, so, so cool. So diverse and amazing. And it's really inspiring for filmmakers to go see what he's done. And what an inspiring and energetic guy as well. So, uh, And you can do that if you want. Listen to Chris. And you can go out there and make a film. Do what he did. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty, as Chris has done, to send the elevator back down. Uh, CJ, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. And where can people find you on the socials? At Direct. Although not much is happening at the moment. And I can smell things are about to happen. They are. Smell it, Charles. They are. It, honestly, it's about to break out. I, it, I'm so excited. Well, have, um, I just tempted, have we just tempted fate? Are we <laughs> oh, don't say that now. <laughs> no, yes, no, no, It's true, though. We could have tempted fate. But no, I do feel it. For some people, it might not be us, but some people, it's going to kick off. It's going to kick yeah. off. It's going to yeah, yeah. The, the wheels are turning. Yeah, the wheels are turning. And remember, our episode on Friday is a very special edition of our making of David Fincher's Mank. Look out for that on Friday. If you've enjoyed this, thank you so much for listening. Do tell your pals. That's how we grow. And if you're feeling very kind, go onto iTunes and give us a lovely five-star review. And if it's written well, we will tweet it out for you. And I might even say it on the podcast and give you a shout-out. <gasps> The glamour and the adulation you will feel. (laughs) And join us on the Patreon. We will see you on there. Get on it. Link is in the show notes. I've been Giles Alderson. You can follow me at Giles Alderson on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter or the Filmmakers Podcast on Instagram. If you want to get in touch, the Filmmakers Podcast at gmail.com. Go to our website and see all our back catalogue of episodes and uh, type in whatever genre or whatever. If you want acting, if you want just directors, you want producers, type it in and you will find all those episodes on there for you. Uh, until next Tuesday, go out there, make your film, make it happen. We love you. Thank you for listening. CJ, bye bye. Why have they got to make their film by next Tuesday? By next Tuesday. If they don't, they lose. You're tough, Giles. I know. Tough love. Uh, Take care, everyone. Bye.